Welcome to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity. Kia ora and welcome to another episode of the Thrive TV Show. I'm Lauren Parsons, your host, and today I'm joined by Michael Hempseed, who is here to talk to us about preventing suicide in your community. So welcome, Michael. Great to be here. Yeah, it's really great to connect and talk about this incredibly important topic. And I'm sure that what you share today is going to be really valuable and also really help to inspire hope in people. So we're going to be talking about what are some of the reasons that people do die by suicide, what you should do if you suspect that someone you know might be suicidal, and also what help and support is out there. So before we get into that, Michael, I always just do my this and that questions. So are you ready for some quick fire questions? Indeed. Yes, let's do this. So tell me, spots or stripes? Uh, spots. Okay, nice. Tell me, beach or mountaintop? Uh, I think I prefer mountains to the beach. Okay. Travel alone or travel with friends? 50-50. I've gone to a few exotic places like Chernobyl and I've never found anyone to go with me to some of those places. So um, sometimes alone, sometimes with other people. Okay, very unique. A pet pig or pet goat? probably a goat okay a week without the internet or a week without your car either or would be probably okay um week without my car okay nice uh walk a dog or rock a baby um i have a child that was born a year ago let's go with walk a dog (laughs) (laughs) okay and lastly chocolate or cake Uh, definitely chocolate Okay, nice. So Michael Hempseed is the author of Being a True Hero, Understanding and Preventing Suicide in Your Community. This book is being used by the New Zealand Police, Fire and Emergency, GPS, counsellors, as well as many parents and teachers. He's trained everyone from army medics to zookeepers. Michael gained an honours degree in psychology from the University of Canterbury. And he also did an amazing TEDx talk in 2016 at TEDx Darwin. So thanks for joining me, Michael. So can you tell me a bit about how did you get into what you're doing now? Yeah, so people always ask me, you know, how did you get into this line of work? And I always say um, it chose me rather than I chose it in the sense that at school, I was always the person people came to with their problems. Um, I didn't ask for this in any way. Um, It just sort of chose me. Um, And throughout my life, I've always been sort of the person that people come to when they have a problem. Uh, So I've got an honours degree in psychology. And in terms of what I do now, which is traveling around New Zealand, giving talks on this, I wasn't really sure um, this was going to be my career. About five years ago, I just gave three open community talks on suicide prevention. And I wasn't sure anyone was going to show up. Uh, Within a year, I'd had 17 requests um, for more. And then now I do something between 150 to 200 talks every year. So um, sort of grew and grew from there. Um, On top of that, um, we have absolutely horrendous suicide numbers in New Zealand. I think just about everyone knows someone close to them that's died by suicide. Um, As I travel around New Zealand, it's not something that's sort of mythical. Like I know my um, distant cousin or something like that. Um, It often tends to be that people are impacted by someone close to them that has died by suicide. So there's a massive need in New Zealand to try and effectively address this. Mm, yeah and I know that you you know have much more understanding than perhaps most people do around this and it's a serious topic but important to understand what are some of the most common reasons that people do die by suicide yeah 
I think when it comes to suicide, we often always assume that someone would have to be depressed to die by suicide, and that can certainly be one of the reasons. But I just want to explore depression a little bit more. Um, we think probably in New Zealand at the moment, there's something like at least 600,000 people experiencing depression, and not all those people um, even contemplate suicide. In fact, we think about half of all people with depression will never think about suicide. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not the only risk factor. One of the things we know is that if people have depression and what we call distorted thinking or a feeling of burdensomeness, that tends to predict suicide. So sometimes after a suicide, we say, how could someone be so selfish? Don't they know all the pain they're leaving behind? But a lot of people um, that feel suicidal, they think they're a burden to others. They think they're causing other people trouble. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people that die by suicide, they think, you know, I don't want to hurt other people. Um, so that can be one reason. Um, but we also know that um, there's quite a strong link between anxiety and suicide. Now, there's many, many anxious people in New Zealand, and not all of them are going to die by suicide. But some people can catastrophize things. So, for example, if you get fired from a job, realistically, there'll probably be another job out there. Um, there's lots of different jobs in New Zealand. There'll probably be something you can do. But some people with anxiety, they think when I get fired from a job, I'm never going to find another job again. And so um, they can think that suicide is the only way out. Um, we know, for example, brain injuries. Um, that's a risk factor that we don't often address. We think New Zealand's got one of the highest rates of brain injuries um, in the OECD. And it's not uh, our rugby culture. We've got one of the highest rates of domestic violence. So a lot of brain injuries don't get picked up. Um, final one or two things is sleep. Um, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more later. But we know that often when people are really sleep deprived, um, suicidal thoughts can come in. I was talking to a farmer at the end of one of my talks, and he said one night he had all these bills on his farm, and he thought there was no way he'd ever pay them off, and he thought suicide was a good way out. Well, fortunately, um, this happened at two or three in the morning. Unfortunately, he gave up on that idea. But when he woke up in the morning, he realized all his problems were solvable. Mm. And so what I'm trying to get at here is there's not just one cause of suicide. I've talked about things like depression, brain injuries, anxiety, sleep. Um, there's many, many causes. The mm. final one that I'll mention just for now is um, a same-day crisis. So we often think that suicide is a carefully thought-out plan. Some will plan this for months or even years. However, what we know is that something like a third to a half of all suicides are the result of a same-day crisis, such as a relationship breakup, getting fired from a job, or something like that. One study that interviewed um, suicide attempt survivors and asked them how long was there between you thinking about this and carrying it out, 24% said five minutes or less. So mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's a very spontaneous decision. It's not a carefully thought-out plan. Mm. So hopefully that gives you an overview of just some, there are many, many more, but those are a few of the key ones to look out for. Mm. And I think it's really interesting. I know when we spoke mm. previously, you talked about the importance or, or the benefit of just being able to encourage people to wait a day. Yeah. So many people, when you think about, you know, that if a third to a half of people are responding to something that's just happened, yeah. that's just hit them, like you say, a redundancy, yeah. a relationship issue, and they feel like there's no other option if someone can come alongside them or if there's some way they can wait a day, that would save a whole lot of lives. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be a day. Um, 
couple mm. of uh, stories. Uh, there was a group of researchers in America, this was never published in a journal, but they knew that um, the way that most Americans died by suicide was with firearms. And they thought, look, there's no way they're ever going to get Americans to give up their guns. But they went around door knocking and they said, are you concerned about suicide in your community? And most people said, yes, we are. And so they asked people, if you've got a loaded gun, unlock the gun, lock the gun up separately, and lock the ammunition up separately. And they found the suicide rate dropped by 80% in that area. And although people could, you know, find the gun and the bullets, it slowed them down. And one of the key messages around suicide prevention is just buying people time. Mm. This brings me to another point, is that sometimes we think, well, if we stop people doing it one way, they're just going to do it another way, so there's no point in even trying. Um, a study conducted by Richard Seiden found that between 1937 and 1971, roughly 500 people were stopped jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Wow. Now, these people were deadly serious. These people were making an active suicide attempt, and many of these people had to be held back. So you can't say, oh, well, these people weren't serious or anything like that. These people had a plan, and they were stopped in the middle of that plan. Mm. Um, what they found was that when they followed these people up years later, they found that a staggering 94% we're still alive with died of natural causes. So in other words, if you can help someone in that time of crisis, there's an exceptionally high chance they will live. Mm, that's, yeah, that is encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So for those that are listening in, what should we do if we suspect that someone we know might be suicidal? Yeah. The first thing is um, to be aware of some of the warning signs. So I said some suicides do happen very quickly, and sometimes there's not a lot you can do um, to prevent those. But other ones are planned out over a longer period of time. And so knowing some of the things to look for. One thing that we know is talking a lot about death um, out of the blue can be a warning sign. We know giving away prized possessions out of the blue or for no obvious reason can be a warning sign. We know that if someone's had a long history of depression and they suddenly get better, um, that often means they've made a decision to end it and you need to start asking questions. Um, we also know what we call ruminative thoughts. So this is, let's say someone had a breakup five years ago, but if they're still going on about that, they can't get that out of their head and every time you talk to them, they're um, focused on that, that could be a risk factor for suicide. A couple of other ones we know, expressing suicidal intent. So we used to say if someone talked about suicide, they weren't serious. But we now know that's um, not the case. And if you ever have someone that expresses it, take it seriously. Another one to look for is what we call hopelessness. Um, now, people that are suicidal, they don't often go around saying, I feel hopeless. But if you listen carefully to what they say, they might say something along the lines of, um, I'm never going to find another job again if they've lost a job. And that's really a hopeless statement. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to look out for um, the warning signs of suicide. There's a couple that are a bit rarer, but we do need to be aware of them. Um, one is called psychosis. So um, this is where people have delusional or irrational thoughts. So they might see people that aren't there. They might hear voices that aren't there. Psychosis is a medical emergency. You can't talk someone out of this. Um, you need to ring 111. But with those other warning signs that I talked about, um, if you recognize that, you should go up to the person and directly ask them about suicide. Now, some people say, oh, hold on, I'm not trained for this. This is not my responsibility at all. Well, 
one of the things we know is that um, the person most likely to pick up that someone's suicidal is not necessarily someone like a psychiatrist. It could be a family member, a friend, a teacher, or someone like that. So really, we all need to do this. So how do you go up to someone? Well, it would help if you started by saying what you've seen. So for example, if someone says, um, you know, I'm never going to find another job again, you should go up to them and say, I'm concerned about you. You just said to me, you don't think you're going to find another job. I know this might be a really difficult question, but does this mean you're thinking about suicide? And you must be really explicit and use the words either kill yourself or suicide. If you just say, A, you're going to do something stupid, um, people will, you could think that means something else. Yeah. Now, we don't mind if they say no, that's all right. If they say no, we can take a breath. But if they say yes, a really good way to reply is, I am so glad you told me that. Really wow. acknowledge that they're going through a tough time. And then you need to get them some help. Um, I often say if someone's suicidal, a good place to take them to is a doctor or a GP. Um, the reason I say don't take them to a counsellor is often there's long wait lists for counselling. And it's no use saying to someone, please don't kill yourself for 12 weeks before you see help. And whereas a doctor, you should be able to see them that day. Mm. So this is really important, but also quite heavy stuff. So just for yeah. those people that are listening in, if we feel like, if we hear some of those hopeless statements, or we hear people yeah. showing those signs, you're saying the best thing to do is to go directly and to say, you yeah. know, I'm concerned about you based on what you just said. And you yeah. mentioned you need to be explicit and actually say, are yeah. you considering suicide? Yeah. And you let them respond. Yeah. And one of the things is if you notice this, make it your responsibility to do something about this. Um, it could happen that, say, there's a hundred people in a workplace and they're all concerned about someone, but they all think someone else is going to do something about this. And if everyone thinks someone else will do something, no one will. So if I ever became suicidal, I don't want people to say, well, he wrote a book on suicide prevention, he gives all these talks around the place, he must be okay. A deadly serious, you know, I'd rather 10 people came up to me and said, Michael, I'm concerned about you, than for everyone to think, well, he's probably okay. So if you notice it, you know, don't be afraid to go up to someone. If for some reason you don't have a good relationship with someone, maybe it's a work colleague, um, you know, tell a supervisor or tell someone. But if you notice it, do something about it. Mm, I think that's a really key message and really interesting because it wasn't the thing that jumped to my mind that to say that if someone said actually yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it to say, well, I'm so glad you told me. I just feel like that's something I'm going to carry with me yeah. to kind of have in my back pocket as a tool. Yeah, because it would be a massive thing if you um, are feeling suicidal and you reveal that to someone, that's an absolutely massive thing to reveal to someone. Yeah. And probably on the inside, someone's thinking, what on earth have I done? Have I said the wrong thing? Are they going to judge me or something like that? Mm. But if they hear the words, I am so glad you told me that, you'll know they've told a safe person and they can hopefully relax a little bit. Mm, yeah, I think that's incredible. Um, the next thing you said is you're going to share with us, you know, what is the help and support that's out there? So you said first thing is take them to the GP. What other help and support do you recommend? Yeah, so um, one of the things that I mentioned before that's a huge risk factor for suicide is poor sleep. So if we can try and address someone's sleep, and that can dramatically take away thoughts of suicide. Even if we haven't got to the point of suicide, most of us have had a really small problem late at night that seems like an absolute disaster. And then we wake up in the morning and actually think it was no big deal. Mm. 
So this is why sleep is so important to target. So if you know that someone's having really poor sleep, we tend to, you know, if someone says, I only got three hours sleep last night, we don't really do much about that. But we actually need to try and help people to get a better night's sleep. There's probably three or four things, a couple of things to know about sleep. Um, one of them is that in almost all situations, sleep problems are changeable. Yeah. So we sometimes think there's some lucky people that are born with good sleep and there's some other people that aren't. But what we know is that the overwhelming majority of sleep problems can be addressed if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so some doctors are really good with that, but also some counselors can help with sleep problems. Um, there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. They can teach you ways to manage racing thoughts. And a simple exercise is um, we know a lot of people have got poor sleep because they lie down at night and their brain won't switch off. It's always thinking it's going 100 miles an hour and it doesn't seem to stop. Mm. Well, a really simple technique for that is to take a physical pen and paper and write down whatever's on your mind. Mm -hmm. And then that gets the thoughts out of your mind and into something positive. So that's one way to address suicidal thoughts. And the second thing is get help immediately. And if, say, you go to a GP and they say we're full, go to another one. Uh, I host a local radio show here in Christchurch, and I've asked person after person, if you had one bit of advice for someone going through a difficult situation, what would that be? And person after person has said to me, they wished they knew they could change doctors or counsellors. And that's really critical that, and they didn't, it wasn't, they didn't say speak up or anything, they said you can change. And so if the help you're getting is not helping you, try the next one. If that's not working, try the next one and the next one and the next one. Okay. And I guess that would go for anything, if it's a therapist or a counsellor or sometimes yeah. people don't always find that the first yeah. option works out. Yeah. So try something new. Yeah. Mm. So those are some of the things. And obviously there's a lot more advanced things to try, but I think some of those things, focusing on sleep. Um, if you put me in charge of New Zealand tomorrow and I could do anything to address suicide in this country, yeah. the first thing I'd get on top of would be sleep. And I read a fair bit of research. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I'm always sharing articles on a wide range of topics. I read about all sorts of different things. Out of everything that I've read, um, I would bet on sleep as being the best intervention around suicide prevention. Mm, and that is so critical and I fully agree I also speak a, a, around sleep from a boost well-being point of view as yeah. well and it's so critical because everything is so sleep is so foundational to everything else in our lives so if you know if our listeners are wondering as I am can you give us you know top few things that people could do right now that impact on sleep I'd love to hear what your thoughts on that are yeah, so one of the things we know is that full and complete sleep is really important. And one of the simplest things most people could do is put their phone in flight mode or on silent at night. Mm -hmm. So if someone's getting woken up multiple times throughout the night because of notifications, that absolutely wrecks their sleep. So that's a really important thing. Um, the other thing is we know there's this chemical called melatonin that tells your body to switch off and go to sleep. Um, the way you produce that is actually by spending at least an hour of natural sunlight during the day. So if you lie in bed and just think you're not worried about anything, you just can't sleep, you probably don't have enough melatonin in your system. So maybe spending some more time in sunlight. Um, the other big one is um, so caffeine. Um, caffeine's got a half-life of six hours. So if you're having caffeine six hours before you go to sleep, that'll disrupt your sleep cycle. So some of those things can really help people get a better night's sleep. Mm, and I know that there are, there are so many more. So 
Yeah, it's a really big one. I think sleep affects a lot of people. Can you just talk a bit about, because uh, I think I first came across you, Michael, reading an article you'd written about sleep and teenagers. Oh, yes. Uh, any differences? You know, obviously this is a big risk group as well in terms of suicide. Yeah. So can you just tell us a bit yeah. about sleep and teenagers for all the parents yeah. listening in? Yeah. So one of the things we know, what we call the teenage brain, undergoes a massive redevelopment. And this happens somewhere around the age of 13, but it doesn't finish until about age 25 or even as late as age 30 for some people. So what we call the teenage brain is actually really the adolescent brain. Um, one of the things we know is that teenagers produce the chemical melatonin, the switch off and go to sleep chemical, two to three hours after an adult. Yes. So um, most adults want to go to bed probably about 9 or 10, 11 o'clock at night. Teenagers want to go to bed at 11, 12 or 1. But that means if they want to go to sleep later, they naturally want to wake up later as well. Now, some people will say, well, they should just go to bed earlier. But if you don't have that buildup of melatonin, you'll just lie in bed and you won't actually get to sleep. Yeah. In America, there's a big movement called Start Schools Later. And as the name says on the box, they're trying to get high schools to start later. They're mm -hmm. finding students have much better academic performance, um, lower rates of physical and uh, mental illness. Um, when whole school districts do this, there's fewer young people being killed in car crashes because we know um, fatigue is, kills more people on our roads than alcohol does. Don't hear much about that. Mm -hmm. So um, this is why making sure teenagers get the sleep they need. Um, and I say to parents, if you've got a child that's got depression, anxiety, or um, they're suicidal, get their sleep under control. If that means you have to change schools or something like that, whatever you need to do to get their sleep under control, you should do that. If mm -hmm. teenagers want to sleep in, they're usually not being lazy. They're just following what their body demands. Yeah. You know, We wouldn't criticize someone for saying, oh, well, I need oxygen today. Yeah. <laughs> we all need oxygen. We've got to think of sleep in those terms. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot about eating well and exercising. We think sleep is probably twice as important to our well-being as those other things. Yeah, I totally agree. And I see this in my young preteens coming through as well. And it's, it's really good advice I've taken on board. It's not their fault. It's just biology. So yeah. very interesting. Can I ask just perhaps a, a slightly off-topic question? Yes. What about for people that have been left behind by suicide? Yeah. I don't know if you cover this. I assume I do indeed. Oh, yes. What would you say to those that are bereaved and left behind in the shock of yeah. the aftermath? Yeah, very much. Um, just one interesting point. Um, so my book was written as a book on prevention. Um, mm -hmm. It was intended for people that have got so in front of them that suicidal, what do you do? Although as far as I'm aware, the largest group that's picked it up and read it having people bereaved by suicide. Mm. And I think these people are looking for answers. A lot of people say that um, when they read my book, it took away some of the guilt. Because a lot of people were told that person was depressed for 10 or 15 years. You missed it. You didn't do anything about it. Mm. So a lot of people had a lot of guilt with this. But I said before, a lot of suicides are a very spontaneous act and they happen within five or 10 minutes. And when some people realize that, Mm. It takes away some of the guilt. Um, there's a fantastic program around New Zealand called the WAVES program. So if you just Google WAVES suicide prevention, so suicide bereavement, um, this is a group of people that meets um, for six to eight weeks with a carefully trained facilitator, and you just work through some of the feelings associated with that. And there's no time limit on the group. So if you lost someone 50 years ago, and this is still having an impact on your life, 
you're more than welcome to come to a group like that. And I understand that around the country, they've had lots of people um, that have lost someone years and years ago, and they've never processed it. So that's mm-hmm. just the WAVES program. Yeah. Um, so there are things that can be done around the grief, the loss of suicide. I feel that's an area that we haven't really focused on much, but it is very important to know. And the other thing is um, you don't need to be a close family member. So even if you're a distant work colleague and you're affected by a suicide, you can go to the WAVES program. Mm, thanks for that. And just thinking about the workplace as well, I know um, from watching your TED talk that you talked about the importance of vulnerability. And I see this yeah. as hugely important, you know, for leaders to be able to be vulnerable, to share their experiences when they're struggling, yeah. to share their failures. Can you just share, you know, briefly, I just thought it was an incredible story. And if you don't yeah. mind bringing it up, yeah. because I know it's really powerful about the failure you experience and why yeah. it's important to share our failures. Yeah. Just going back a little bit. So I mentioned that um, a third of have all suicide for the result of a same-day crisis. Yeah. And unfortunately, these ones are very difficult to intervene when they get into that state. But I think there's a lot we can do before people get to that state. And what really leads to this? Well, I think it's an inability to deal with failure. And I think a lot of these people, they don't know that their life can be good again after a failure. So um, the, story that I, the story that I shared at TEDx was in 2012, I was living in the UK. I'd always wanted to do a magic trick in front of a large audience. So I saw the auditions for Britain's Got Talent. I applied for it. Yep, this was um, worth having a go at it. So I came up with this magic trick. I did a few rehearsals. And they went really well. It came to the day of filming, and I said, I need 20 minutes backstage to set this up. And they was on the production team, they said, that's fine. That's not a problem. Someone came to me at 4.30 in the afternoon, and they said, we need you on stage now. Mm-hmm. So nothing was set up correctly. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong did go wrong. But everything that could not possibly have gone wrong also somehow managed to go wrong. Yeah. I had 3,000 people in the audience yelling off, off, off. It's one of the worst moments of my entire life. Yeah. But it gets worse than that, just as that wasn't bad enough. Um, because Amanda Holden was absolutely horrible about my teeth. And this was going to be broadcast in front of 12 million people. So if you're going to fail, fail big, right? Yeah. Mm. So when this happened, I thought my life was ruined. I was running school camps in the UK at the time. The day after the show aired, a new group came in. And I was really, really hoping they had not seen the most popular show on TV. Yeah. They had. Yeah, they had. They had. Now, what happened. So first of all, I went around telling, asking them what their talents were, and it came to me. And I said, um, my talent is failing. And they all laughed at me. But then I said, no, no, I'm serious. Anyone can fail once. That requires no effort, and no skill. But to have the talent of failing, you need to fall off the horse, get back up, try again. Now, this was a group of teenagers. They didn't give me a lot of feedback at the time. But afterwards, a couple of them came up to me and they said, we think you're one of the most inspiring people we've ever met. And I thought, hold on, hold on. I made a turkey out of myself on national TV. And they were calling me inspiring. And to be honest, I thought they were just being nice about it. Mm. But then another group came in, they'd seen the show, I told the story, and I got the same reaction from them. Since two groups liked the story, I figured there might be something to this, but I wasn't really sure what it was. One of the things I've realized is that we have a massive problem with how we deal with failure in this country. Mm. When everyone runs a race at school, we like to give them a certificate of participation so they don't feel bad. 
The problem is in real life, if you experience a relationship breakup, you do not get a certificate of participation. Divorce proceedings may be, but not a certificate of participation. Mm. And so I mean this in all sincerity, this is killing our young people because they don't know how to fail. I've recently been doing some work with some people in their 60s and 70s, and I've asked them, you know, how many failures did you have in your life? And all of them said, I lost several jobs, I've had a relationship breakup, usually one major health scare or one crisis, usually some sort of financial difficulty. All these things are a normal part of life. They're nothing exceptional. But because we've protected people from failure, they don't know that it's okay. Mm. And so if any families are listening to this, I beg you, let your children fail. Do not wrap them in cotton wool. We've got to let them deal with the real world. Yeah. Let's take a young man that loses a job. If he grows up in a culture where we don't talk about failure, maybe suicide's a good option. But if he grows up in a culture where we talk about failure all the time, he knows lots of people lose jobs. Like Hope for Winfrey, she was fired from being a news anchor. Mm. Walt Disney was fired from being a cartoonist for a newspaper. If people knew this, maybe they wouldn't think about suicide so much. So we've got to start looking at failure. This is how we've got to tackle some of these same-day crisis suicides. I've been looking at um, the concept of resilience over the last few years. And in the past, you know, if someone failed their driver's license or they got a bad mark on test, this was considered a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. And yet for some people, it's an absolute disaster today. We've got to dramatically change the way we approach this. Mm, I just think it's such a powerful message. So thank you for sharing that. And encourage uh, viewers and listeners, if you haven't already, then feel free to look up. And all the links below will have Michael's TED Talk on there. I think it's so powerful. I totally agree. And last year, I actually wrote a couple of articles on failure because I had a very big goal that I was striving for. And I did, people said not fail. I failed at the moment although I haven't given up. So people have told me that's not really failure, but I didn't achieve the goal that I succeeded. I got told, no, you've not met the bar. And it was really tough, but it was really powerful. Just like yourself, sharing it, even though it's not comfortable, because the more that we share it and realize that, you know, your failure doesn't define who you are. I think that that's a really hope inspiring message. Thank you, Michael. Really. So if people wanted to find out more about you or get in touch, uh, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so I've got a website, beingatruehero.com, um, and on there I've got lots of uh, videos, books, and things like that on um, mental health topics, sleep, PTSD, and stuff like that. So there's a whole lot of information on there. You can contact me through that website. Fantastic. So beingahero.com and all the being links. A, be, beingatruehero.com. Oh, thank you. Yes. Beingatruehero.com. Yeah. So if you're just listening into this uh, on the podcast version, then make sure you head to thrivetvshow.com so you can watch the video version and also get all the links down below in the show notes. So thanks so much, Michael. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. If I could ask you one final question, that's just, there's one last thing you want to share with the listeners. What would that be? Yeah, one of the things I haven't really touched on is that a lot of suicides happen either when people retire or when people are very elderly. And I think a lot of people think that after you retire, your life is over and there's not much to look forward to. But here's the thing. Researchers have found that the time in your life when you're likely to be the happiest of all is after age 70. Wow. I actually think if a few more people knew that, maybe we'd stop some of these suicides there. You know, some people say the best days of your life are your school days, but that would mean that most of us, we've got nothing to look forward to in the future and it's all downhill from there. But if we actually look at the research, 
it actually says that there can be good things to look forward to and life can get better. So I think if people knew that, um, it might really help a lot of people going through some tough times at the moment. Mm, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for mm. the work that you're doing, your courage, your humility and vulnerability and what you're sharing. I really, yeah, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. My pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's been another episode of the Thrive TV show. Go out and thrive. Thank you for listening to the Thrive TV show with Lauren Parsons. Visit thrivetvshow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode.